Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. That we can bring about this change. Acknowledge the Kulin Nations, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders, past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise the unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Tuesday Breakfast with myself, Ayan. Um, next to me is George. Hello. And finally, we have Anya. Good morning. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> full house today. Anya and can finally speak on air. <laughs> she can. She can. And she was the one who was doing the Welcome to Country. We were like, you know what? That's the best way to make your debut. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. She's incredible. And it's funny because um, before we started, we were talking about, I was asking her, like, are you nervous to start? Like, what's your biggest concern? And her biggest concern <laughs> Was that should drop a few f bombs? Oh, yes. <laughs> that was still happen. <laughs> I and think the audience would forgive you for that. Yeah, listeners. <laughs> and also, children beware. Get <laughs> Lauren, as well, who's paddling today, Woo-hoo. being her awesome yeah, self. So any tech issues, it's my fault. But maybe we should jump straight into some news headlines. Yeah, of course. So an interview has been released by the American ABC with former FBI Director James Comey, stating that Trump is a stain on everyone who works for him, as morally unfit for presidency, and that he treats women like meat. He also commented that there is some evidence that the president has committed obstruction of justice, and that if he follows through on threats to file special counsel Robert Mueller, who, who is investigating Trump, Comey said it would set off alarm bells that this is the most serious attack yet on the rule of law. One of China's largest social media sites, Weibo, has banned homosexual content. The company announced on Friday that it would censor videos and comics related to homosexuality and claims that it is doing so in order to create a sunny and harmonious community environment and to comply with China's cybersecurity laws. China has tightened rules regarding online spaces. Last year, 128,000 websites were closed for containing supposedly vulgar and harmful content. You can follow the story via the I am gay and I am gay not a pervert hashtags. The US, UK and France are calling for the UN to launch an investigation into Syria's chemical weapons stockpiles. A resolution is being drafted which will attempt to rescue peace, to resume peace talks, agree to a ceasefire and allow humanitarian access to blockaded areas. The meeting took place yesterday. U.S. envoy to the U.N., Nikki Haley, told Fox News that U.S. troops would remain until the Islamic State was defeated. Syria's chemical weapons stockpile could no longer be used or could not be used to harm the U.S. interests, and Iran's activities in Syria were better understood. In India, nationwide protests have been held to to demand justice for victims of rape following the gang rape and murder of an eight-year-old Kashmiri girl. 
Al Jazeera reports eight men, including uh, police officers, are being accused of abducting Asifa in January and also claimed that officers took bribes to protect the rapists. This assault, along with others in India, have led to public condemnation of the police and the government due to slow investigations and for protecting the accused. Prime Minister Narendra Modi has promised justice for recent victims. On April, April 9th, the body of another girl raped and assaulted had been found in Surat, but her identity has not yet been determined. New legislation in response to assaults in previous years has doubled prison terms for rapists to 20 years. Incidents of child rape in India have increased by over 82% from 2015 to 2016, according to data from the National Crime Records Bureau. If anything in this segment has caused distress, please call the Sexual Assault Crisis Line on 1-800-806-292. That's 1-800-806-292. Located in the heart of Thornbury, the Islamic Museum of Australia showcases the cultural and artistic heritage of Australian Muslims. Don't miss our latest youth-based exhibition, Ways to be Muslim, and immerse yourself in a series of photographic portraits and unique personal narratives. This exhibition is hosted in partnership with Muslim Collective and the Victorian State Government and is showing until July 8th. Visit the museum website for more information. The Islamic Museum of Australia is a 3CR supporter. The Sydney Road Brunswick Short Film Competition is on again this April. Come and see the entries, all competing for $5,000 in prize money in the Sydney Road Open category and music videos, along with highlights from previous years. Screening at Sydney Road Venues, Biff Tannen's Bar on the 24th and Barclay Square Laneway on the 19th, with the final and winners announced at the Brunswick Mechanics Institute on Friday, April 27th at 7pm. Free entry and just a $5 donation for the final night. For more info, head to sydneyroad.com.au. The Sydney Road Brunswick Short Film Competition is a 3CR supporter. And welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Tuesday Breakfast. The time is 7.05. We don't know the weather. I know the weather. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Somebody knows the weather. Can I jump in? Yes, you can. Um, it's going to be a top of 17 degrees, mostly cloudy, and it's currently 13.4. Yay. Mm. Um, I can't believe it. It snowed on me in Hobart. Can you believe this? Wow. Literally in the city, it was snowing. What is... Like well, winter just... Like that. Wow, I didn't know it snowed in Hobart. <laughs> well, Neither I did I <laughs> until I was feeling the small flakes on my eyelashes. <laughs> I'm tempted to shade um, Hobart. I want to say so much, but no shade. Go, please. N- no, no, that's okay. <laughs> I'm drinking the tea, so you can ah, <laughs> literally tea, yeah. literally sipping the tea. <laughs> so we have an exciting announcement. Yeah. Yes, we do. It's, it's so funny. Everyone's looking at each other. Like, yeah, like, who's going to break it? Who's going to break it? <laughs> I think Anya should talk about it. Yes, Anya. Thank you. Um, so, we're hosting a special panel next week. Um, it's on the topic of hashtag MeToo, mm. which um, we think has become a movement that um, is of a particular type of woman. So, mm. we're trying to break that mold and bringing in different types of voices into the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm. awesome. So it'll be at 7 a.m., our usual Tuesday breakfast time. 
And we have some incredible guests joining us, including Sally Goldner, who is the Executive Director of Transgender Victoria. And, and like the coolest person ever. Literally, <laughs> seriously, this is like a Sally Goldner thing. <laughs> um, she's also the host of 3CR's Out of the Pan, so you may have heard her on the airwaves. Um, Tanine Ernest-Williams, who is a Yuga, Guntij, Bindal and Irubma Islander woman and activist. Nick Ranger from Dada Ono. Queenie Bonbon from the Scarlet Alliance, Anastasia Lee from Out for Australia, and where is Vicky from? Um, I'm not sure if she's affiliated with any particular organisation, but she has a lived experience of family violence and homelessness, and now she advocates um, for those issues, and she educates people in the community as well. Mm. So that's Vicky Fekondus. Mm. Um, yeah. And a little background, mm-hmm. um, without naming names, because that's not what we're about. Because <laughs> um, we have friends um, who, who work, do they work there, or they've been affiliated with, <laughs> with that organisation. So um, there was an organisation who uh, we consider them like the leading literary organisation. So when speakers come, that's the first place that they go. Uh, sorry, when writers come, that's the first place that they go to speak. So, um, so it's a place that has a lot of influence. So they they ran a Me Too panel, um, and we noticed me, Lauren, and Anya, who were online at that at that time. We noticed that the panel wasn't really um, it wasn't really representative of the community. Um, and that's not to say that you will always have like every single person um, will represent a community, but. It wasn't as diverse as it could have been, considering the resources that they have, considering the access that they have to the community. You know, um, we thought that they did not make um, it a priority. We felt like they didn't make it a priority. So one of the panelists, I think, thought maybe we were attacking her. Mm -hmm. So her response was, why don't you do your own panel? Like, why don't you create your own um, event? So we took her up on it. So we said, you know what? <laughs> Let me Watch raise you. Face. Yeah. So that's 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 where that came from. But also we want to make sure that everyone has a really good understanding of Me Too because Me Too is a grassroots movement. It was started by a black woman in the U.S., an African-American woman named Tarana Burke. Um, and unfortunately, it has a tendency. It's become, like, I feel like now it's become co- co-opted by a lot of, big voices, voices who are always heard. So we want to make sure that when we do this panel that we stick true to the roots of the Me Too panel, which is about community, which is about um, amplifying the voices that aren't often heard. So that's what we're hopefully trying to do. Mm. And that was my little (laughs) rant. (laughs) Yeah, so send us your thoughts if you have any, uh, any particular ideas about issues that haven't been discussed in the Me Too movement, please get in touch. And we are going to a song. Yeah, so I'm going to play a track now by Salif Keita, who is an Afropop singer-songwriter from Mali, who is uh, known as the golden voice of Africa. And this song is called Yamor.
So that was a beautiful track by Salif Keita called Yamor. Such a great song. Um, and it's a long one as well. It's just really nice and soothing to listen to. You're so good for me in the morning. <laughs> I came here listening to Cardi on the way to work and I'm full. <laughs> and up. And uh, so and was that, mm. that song, was that also by... Well, not by, but did you hear it from... Yes, I heard it on the radio a few <laughs> weeks ago. Um, as always, where I get most of my music these days from Sister's Eye on the breakfast spread mm. at PBS. Yay! Mm. Um, so now we're going to hear a um, an interview that I actually did. I wouldn't call it an interview. I think that's glamorizing what it was. A friend was over for pasta, and she was talking about something really interesting, so I turned on the mic. Um, and... You guys are all going to hear what we talked about. Um, but it's based on um, some stuff that's happening in Argentina at the moment. Mm. So just for a bit of background, the New York Times is reporting, and we shared that article <laughs> on our Facebook page last night, so you can read some background too. This week in Argentina, Parliament is beginning to consider legislation before them that would legalise abortion. And hundreds of experts and witnesses are going to appear before a commission dedicated to discussing the bill that will meet twice a week for the next few months. So this is... Um, a bit of a slow-moving beast, but it looks like they're serious. Uh, it would be a very significant step and one that wouldn't be possible without the tireless efforts of feminist campaigning and activism in Argentina. And as one of the campaigners told the New York Times, George, I thought that you would really appreciate this quote, fighting against femicides led us to fight against all, vi- all forms of violence against women and not letting us decide over our bodies is a form of violence. So now we're going to hear. That's awesome. <laughs> now we'll hear um, from Mariana, who is an Argentinian woman who lives in Melbourne, um, for a bit more detail about. Oh, sorry, we're having a bit of a tech issue. About what's happening in Argentina and what the landscape is like for people there trying to fight for their rights. You were just talking. <laughs> You were just talking about Argentina um, and some huge protests that have been happening there. What is going on? So, if you are from a Latin American country or a South American country, there's always a protest about something because we can. Two, the protests are just huge. There's over 450,000, up to a million people like protesting when it's something like, let's say, legal um, equalitarian marriage, which was 15 years ago, which it got through. But today, they're doing the seventh um, protest and it's actually been taken to Congress for the seventh time um, to get abortion legal in Argentina because at the moment it's illegal, like in many other countries. Um, It's only legal if it was a product of rape and it's only legal if if the the mother is about to give birth it's in danger. So if she, unless she's about to die, she cannot have an abortion. If you're from a middle-class family or you have a middle-class income, you are able to access abortion in clandestine clinics. Mm-hmm. So you either take the risk, have the abortion and die, or take the abortion anyways. Most of the time it's successful, but this is like obviously always under the law and for poor people that don't have access to any of that to another kind of money it will be the equal so it's 30,000 Argentinian pesos which is equal to 300 Australian dollars 
to have an abortion, which in $300 is probably the basic income or less the basic income per month for a normal person, which a lot of people don't get. Mm. So and that's really not a safe abortion either. It's like a no, you die. Yeah. Um, 450,000 women die a year in Argentina from having one abortion that hasn't been um, processed correctly um, or in an illegal clinic. And only 30,000 women have access to this legally. So that you have to go to the hospital, you either go to the hospital and say it was product of rape, or that if they find that you're going to die, then they can do the procedure. But most of the times it's not product of rape, it's just they need to have this abortion because they don't have access to sex education in school when they're kids or when they're even when they're grown-ups in high school. So, um, do you have to prove that it's rape in order to have the abortion? Or? Doctors will prove that. Oh my gosh, so you have to disclose the rape in order to get an abortion. So if you are unable to talk about it, yeah. okay. So people don't talk about it. They're products of rape in between like family members mm-hmm. or it, it's usually in smaller communities and in smaller places where people don't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's a different sort of kind of like a small community where there's money, then you just go and like, okay, the family doctor will do it or you just go to the clinic and your family will pay for it mm-hmm. and that's how you get rid of it of the business and there's just way too many stories like that but that's just in Argentina mm-hmm. in the rest of the Latin American countries you used to go to jail for having an abortion or having a stillborn and recently in Guatemala and Honduras um, they freed this woman that was in jail for 35 years for having a stillborn and there's a lot of other women that are in jail because because they think that it's the woman's fault yes. to have it. Okay. They think that they didn't look after the child properly, and or that they they or that their pregnancy wasn't like run properly. So that means that the kid was dead when he was born, but I still blame them, so they go to jail. But it's just but it's a it's a law thing. Mm. It's inside Venezuela, Guatemala, Honduras, um, Costa Rica. Um, house. Yeah, there's like a list of at least 11 or 12 countries. And is it based on like religion or cultural practice or what? Like why are these laws so archaic and damaging for women? Well, like every every country is run by religion, mm-hmm. if we talk about religion. But politically, um, they just there's just no there's no money or, and there's no education in school. If we start with education for everybody without having to talk about religion, mm. then we'll be able to like assess these problems. But we don't have sex education in school. Our only sex education is talking about real reproductive system and how it's conformed in the men and the women or and that's it. And that's all the sex education you get at school. So at this stage there's no one that will give sex education. And mainly all schools are religious and you only have a few public schools. But even a public school they don't give sex education. Mm-hmm. So, and parents don't talk about it. Yeah. So if you don't talk about it at home, how do you know? Mm-hmm. So people grow up having their, their friends and their family having babies from an early age. And I'm from a family of that. And I have grown up with kids that had babies at 14, that had illegal abortions at 13. Oh, I've seen them like, I graduated at 18 and I had a classmate, I had three three kids like at different at different stages in her life and it's not 
we can't blame any other factors, just the fact that there is no education of this. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. And you can't go and ask the person, like, what do you have a baby at 13? When you're a kid, you just look away and you don't ask questions. So your parents are like, or either like, don't mess with that people and also you don't talk about it. So it's a whole, like, very conservative. Yeah. Um, but so it's changing, like you said, that the law has been seven times it went to Congress? Or seven times it went to countries and, and co Congress started and it's going uh, today at 8 a.m. Eastern so time. Why has it failed seven times though? Government, there's not enough votes and people that are, are in the Congress are against abortion. And they still want to keep it just to those two things, either rape mm -hmm. or if, you're, if, if the mother is... Um, yeah, if it's going to die. And that's it, but that's been the whole time. Mm. And so do you think, will this time be different, do you think? I hope so, there's a bigger voice. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of people running it, that doesn't mean it's going to change. But I think with social media and something that's been discussed again after four years, again in the different government, mm -hmm. we don't know what's going to happen. All we know is like every time there is a big movement and there's always a protest about it. But this time it's just louder mm -hmm. and social media obviously helps a lot and with the years a lot of like big figures in, in TV are like speaking up about other situations so like now I guess there's like a whole movement in general mm -hmm. of women talking I don't think it's wrong but something ha someone has to do it yeah. otherwise how you call out people so they've taken social media, radio shows, TV shows um, to, to do it. And there's a significant thing, it's a green bandana that you wear now if you're in support of abortion. Mm -hmm. So if you're wearing that, kids are being wearing it to school, they, kids at school are wearing it, they're supporting their peers and universities and people, that, that's, that's the symbol mm -hmm. for, for abortion at the moment. And so it's pro like legalizing abortion for, for a woman to choose when and if she needs one yes. for her own. Yeah. Yeah. For everybody, for every social class. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter how much you, how much you earn. If you're in poverty, you can go walk into a hospital, say that you want abortion, and you, and you have a safe. Have, yeah. Yeah. We're trying to save. They're trying to save lives. Yeah. They're not just. They don't just want to judge you for it and don't want you to talk about it and that's what people are saying and that's the, the main discussion that is going on in all these shows. Why do I have to disclose the reason that I have, want to have an abortion? If it was me, I don't want to disclose it and I don't, I don't want anybody. I just know that I don't want it and that's it. Yeah. Just get it done. But I'm also pro of saving someone's mm. life. If someone's going to die or if there is an unwanted children, Fine, but people are not in an economical situation to keep having more, more children. Yeah. Whatever the reason is that pregnancy happened, if they don't want it, they should have the right to speak for their bodies and for themselves. And I guess in terms of like the right to speak for your body or the right to have determination over your body, is there much discussion about sex education in school and increasing that awareness so that teenagers don't have to have abortions or don't have to go through this? You know, like is that something that would change as well? Do you think? Well, it's, it will be a step, and it will be something that can that can lead to that. So they're asking for this, but they're also asking for sex education at school and for people to open up. Everybody's doing it. It's not about abortion. It's about all the other things that come along with it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's not because a life is going to be ruined. 
yeah. like they say, because that's what they teach you when you're a kid. If you have a, if you have a baby, just we're gonna abort because otherwise your life is going to be ruined. It's not gonna be ruined. It's just a life that you bring into the world that you can't maintain. So you just mm. you just can't just can't do it. Mm-hmm. But parents will tell you that your life is gonna be ruined. So I grew up thinking if I ever had a baby when I was under 18, I was gonna like die or the parent would kill me or something like that and it's shit mm. you don't want to grow up like that and now I never want to have a baby on my own like just not happening mm. I, like just um, if yeah. I ever have to adopt sure no but it's so ingrained to like totally yeah, yeah. that fear of like it's wrong to have a child outside mm. marriage or outside a relationship or under 18 it's gross but it's such a strong like that cultural and that social pressure from birth, like how do you break that? You don't. You only break it when you're older mm. and when you talk about it and when you make them realize that it's not someone's fault. You just didn't have, it's not you had more education, but also you never talk about it. Mm. People don't wear condoms, people don't use contraception, even contraception is overlooked. Is there much access to like the pill or yeah. condoms? Yeah, you can yeah. just buy the pill over the counter. Like I think you can do it here too. Um, but you can buy the pill over the counter many times. There's no um, regulation on that. Um, if you take the pill, what about other stuff that come with like not just wanted to be pregnant? So it's the whole thing. Like you're talking about like sexual transmitted diseases plus pregnancy. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, Argentina has a high rate of a million diseases on, on those that kill people and they are going diagnosed for years and especially in the smaller places mm. and the smaller places are the ones that have no access to health no access to anything because you have to travel days sometimes to the, nearest, to the nearest city to even get treated and sometimes you don't even make the appointment so there's just not enough resources even that it seems like there is and it's just not enough money from the government never So that was an interview, um, Trey's interview, um, conducted with a friend, Mariana, about um, some pretty heavy content. So if that raised anything for you um, that you need to discuss or you feel like you want to talk to somebody, you can call the Sexual Assault Crisis Line on 1-800-806-292 or you could call 1-800-RESPECT on 1-800-737-732 or Lifeline on one three one 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 four. Ali MC presents a brand new photography exhibition, Shot on the Road, an intimate yet confronting view of the forgotten parts of the world. Shot on the Road will be opening on Saturday, May 5 at the Fitzroy Library from 2 to 4 p.m. Shot on the Road is part of the 2018 Human Rights Arts and Film Festival and is supported by the City of Yarra, Prism Imaging and Brio Books. A 3CR supporter. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. 
Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. You're listening to Tuesday Breakfast at 3CR. Going to go into some community announcements now. The godfather of Koori music, Peter Rodimer, is taking on cancer, and the Koori music family are banding together and holding a fundraising gig at the Tote on Friday the 27th of April. Uh, the event is called Rock for Rots. The artists' lineup include Uncle Colin Hunter, Marianne Sam, Amos Roach Band, Kutcher Edwards, and many more. And you can see the ticket link on our uh, Tuesday Breakfast Facebook page and also you can go to the Tote Facebook page as well. Why are Women's Information and Referral Exchange are holding a few events in the next couple of weeks? One's actually today. It's on intervention orders and what to expect when applying for one. It goes from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. You need to book online, so you can go to wire.org.au to do that. And it's a discussion and Q&A session with uh, a few panel speakers that are all lawyers uh, to assist in kind of understanding the complicated process of intervention orders. The other event is on May the 21st from 1.30 to 3.30, and it's about separation. It's called From Separation to Settlement. Family lawyer and mediator Alyssa Turco will provide information on the pros and cons of dispute resolution options for divorce and separation. An emergency meeting has been called for solidarity with Afrin to discuss what we can do in the next weeks and months to raise the issue in the public eye following silence and following silence on the issue from the Australian government and other states. Turkey's depraved jihadist forces largely recycled Islamic State and Al-Qaeda gangs are looting, raping and killing, and as many as 200,000 people, mainly Kurdish, have become refugees. There is, and it seemed to be, ethnic cleansing on a large scale. So the meeting is open to anyone who wants to help develop real practical solidarity with Afrin and the liberation struggle in northern Syria. It's this Friday, April the 20th, at 6.30pm in the Multicultural Hub on Elizabeth Street in the city. That's all I have. Fantastic. <laughs> and up next, we'll be chatting to our friend, China Alesi, from, the, from her group Floating Keys with her new show, Drip. Located in the heart of Thornbury, the Islamic Museum of Australia showcases the cultural and artistic heritage of Australian Muslims. Don't miss our latest youth-based exhibition, Ways to be Muslim, and immerse yourself in a series of photographic portraits and unique personal narratives. This exhibition is hosted in partnership with Muslim Collective and the Victorian State Government and is showing until July 8th. Visit the museum website for more information. The Islamic Museum of Australia is a 3CR supporter. And we are just organising our next guest for Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. And we just wanted to do another quick plug for our um, 
Me Too special, which is happening next week. So if you missed our earlier announcement, we are holding a special panel episode next Tuesday instead of our regular programming. Um, and we will be exploring how structural inequalities put women who aren't usually focused on in these debates, such as First Nations women, immigrant women, sex workers, women of colour, women with disabilities, LGBTQIA plus women, homeless women, refugee women, working class women, all of the women at risk of predatory practices and um, how they... Yeah, how they exist in this society that doesn't prioritise their voices when talking about safety. And yeah, so join in next Tuesday to hear that. And now I think we're going to a song, our music guru. So this track is by a band called ModCon who are from Melbourne and they just had an album released. It's called Modern Convenience. I've been waiting to listen to this album for weeks because I heard a song of theirs on the radio about three weeks ago and I just got to listen to it last night. This track from their album Modern Convenience is called Get In Front Of Me Satan and they're playing this week at the Tote and I'm taking my brother. A track off their new album called Get In Front Of Me, Satan. They, the producer for that album was actually Gareth Lydiard from The Drones. And I think it was produced at his house. Um, it's such a great album. There's so many good tracks in it. And you can go and see them this Friday for the album launch at The Tote. Yes. And um, first of all, I loved that. What was that? String? Do they call it string guitar? Yeah, it was a bit of a string guitar. Yeah, it gave me a very rock and roll feeling, <laughs> which I never have. Um, as you know, I'm more an R&B person. But yeah, that was very nice. Thank you, George. Um, on the line, we have China Alessi. China Alessi is a black American queer woman who came to Nam at the end of 2014. Born in Detroit, Michigan, to working class parents, her priority and purpose in life has been to elevate and connect marginalized voices. Her time here has served as an urgent reminder that the imminent threat of black visibility and resurgence transcends geographical borders and can only be remedied through meditated, sorry, mediated efforts to elevate global blackness. Her experience as a writer and events producer has allowed her for the, has allowed for the development of strategic community engagement, which sets to reposition black identities as the dominant thread of creative and innovative thought. Welcome to Tuesday Breakfast, China. 
Hello. Thank you for having me again. Yes. Thank you so much for coming back again. Um, we had you on last year um, with the launch of Floating Keys, which George yes. and I went to, and it was amazing. And I Thank think, you. Yeah, so we're really looking forward to the second one, and that's, I guess, why you're here. Um, can you, before we ha- um, go into Drip, can you tell us about the cl- uh, club culture? Yeah, so Drip is going back to that feel-good time of the 90s that a lot of us have been so nostalgic for. Um With Floating Key, we're always looking to go back to the good that you know and that mindfulness that our elders have impressed upon us. And Drip's club culture is going to be no different. So it's hoping to go back to that feel-good state of dance as liberation and taking the essence of the 90s and incorporating that nostalgia into the future. So when thinking about the club culture, we thought about what this would look like for us in the now and what we're hoping to set up later on in the future, which is bringing together all of these different communities and um, not only showing ourselves, but showing the rest of the world that we can get on well together, that we can come into a space and have a really lovely time and um, go back to those like respectability notions that I think a lot of us have kind of gotten away from. And what has, and also because um, I was having a, because you know as you do you Google club culture and I was thinking of um, people like Juliana Huxtable and so on. Um, what has been its, yeah. its significance for the LGBTQI community and other marginalized groups around the world? Well, it's significant in its representation, in the same way that it's important to have a lineup full of Black and Pop communities. Um, we want to support these marginalized people and reinforce our priorities so that people remember, although we're clubbing and dancing and here to have fun, we're being mindful of that and how we influence those around us. Mm. Um, in the same way that there's zero tolerance for bigotry and hate at Floating Key events, we'll reinforce that at Drip as well. And it's also important to note that not only am I queer and black myself, but the co-producer of Drip is queer as well. So it's about saying we're here, we're here for you, we're ready to have fun and we're not going anywhere. So pay attention. (laughs) Yes, yes. I hope everyone that's listening now um, understands that. And I guess that's why you have also a code of ethics and there's also um, accessibility information. Um, Why have you included all these um, uh, thoughtful information? I include that because one of the biggest components of Floating Key is the aspect of sharing with one another and being mindful. And I know that I discuss that a lot, even one-on-one with people, but I think that that's so fundamental to us moving forward and engaging with one another is to actually consider where people are coming from, who they are, if you're fully giving them the consideration that you would hope someone gives to yourself. And so these code of ethics and the accessibility that we're going to be having there is not only for representation, but for the further reminders. And also keeping in mind that because we will be clubbing, we're going to be dancing, we'll have these code of ethics printed either in the bathrooms or at the front door, just as gentle reminders for people 
We're not expecting you to sit there and read through all of them. We're not here to have a lecture, but we are here to remind you that this is a space of mindfulness. It's a space of respect, and we hope that everyone will check their preconceived notions at the door and be ready mm. for something fresh. Exactly. So it's have fun, but also be mindful of how you behave and just not because we always talk about not taking up space. But yeah. Um, but I feel like the code of ethics shows us how to do that in you know just I hope the, so. the way you conduct yourself and yeah. And can you tell us and about? No, sorry, you were going to say? I was just going to say it's um, very important that people really do focus on these aspects because I think we're really privileged to be able to bring together these different queer LGBTQI communities, these different black and pop communities, those outside of that context and say, hey, we can do this together look how easy this is for us to come together and have a good time. I think that we've got a really beautiful opportunity to remind ourselves in the city of that. And I hope that people really take that upon themselves and take that seriously. And can you, can you tell us about DRIP, how it got started and um, the type of night that you're trying to create and perhaps um, what do you also envision for its future? Yeah, so Drip was inspired out of a response of the inundation of these homogenized spaces, not only within the city, but in different cities that I've lived in before. Um, we often have lineups that lack black, pop, and gender diverse people. And for people like myself who tire of going out tonight like this, who aren't built with people like myself in mind, I wanted the club venture of Floating Key to show these communities that we're thinking of you and that we are you. And although no event can ensure 100% that it is entirely safe, we want to remind people that we prioritize you in our safety ethics and in our models. And in the future, I'm hoping to see more people coming together who may not have gone out to Queer Night or to see these different communities supporting the black and pock ones. And I want to see people standing with us and demanding more diversity in their lineup. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for uh, joining us, China. And tickets for the show are online at Gasometer? Yes, they are. You can see them on the Floating Keys Facebook page in Drip. Um, we've got a link posted there, and it's all over Instagram as well. So if you just go to the gasometer at OzPix, you should be able to get some early bird tickets there, and they'll be available on the door as well. Perfect. And we will put up all that information on both our Facebook page and also our 3CR page. Um, thank you so much for coming on, China. And that was China Alessi, who is the founder of Floating Keys, um, who spoke with us about her club edition, Drip, a Floating Key production. And the show is on April the 22nd, which is a Sunday at 7 p.m. And as China said, you can purchase the tickets at 
gasometer, which is G-A-S-O-M-E-T-E-R dot com dot A-U. And yeah, so you'll be able to purchase it there. And I also think, if I remember correctly, the tickets are also free if you're um, a First Nation person. And there's also a concession option. So, yeah, it's going to be incredible. And I think you and I are going to return. Are we, George? I hope so. Yes, I'd yes. love to go. Yeah. And to be, to be a, a, like a floating keen event with like a slightly different kind of pace to the last one, yeah. but with the same sort of message. Exactly, because the last one was like poetry readings and um, people just getting on the mic and, you know, s- um, talking and, and, and just sharing yeah. um, uh, beautiful words with us. But this time there's going to be like a soul train um, element to the party, there's going to be dancing, there's going to be... Yeah, I'm just really looking forward to it. Some amazing DJs as well. So, it's going to be lit. Hi, I'm Maurice. And I'm Mario. And we're Chronically, Chronically Chilled. A program that aims to provide a platform to those living with chronic and invisible illness, as well as exploring topics that impact on our daily lives. Listen to Chronically Chilled, the first Wednesday of every month at 6pm. So, a bit of context to the next interview. There was a recent Australian Human Rights Commission report that was released last week, and that revealed that Australians with non-European or Indigenous backgrounds hold just 5% of senior leadership positions, even though they make up about 24% of the population. Um, And there was also an Age article published about a month ago that proclaimed that fewer women run top Australian companies than men named John, Peter or David. So I think it's pretty uncontroversial to say there's a lack of gender and cultural diversity in senior leadership positions in private companies. But what about the leaders in the public sector and in particular the departments and agencies that represent Australia? Joining us live from Brisbane now to shed some light on this topic is Elise Stevenson. Elise is a PhD candidate at the School of Government and International Relations at Griffith University, and she'll be talking to us today about her research, which explores the experiences and effects of women leaders in Australian international-facing agencies. Thank you so much for joining us, Elise. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks. So let's just jump right in. Um, Firstly, what are international-facing agencies? Sure. So as opposed to domestic agencies, which are government agencies which predominantly look back in on Australia and look after our needs, international-facing agencies are outward-facing. They're our primary government departments who engage with the world on Australia's behalf. Mm -hmm. In the case of my research, this means departments like defence, foreign affairs and trade, foreign policing and immigration, Mm -hmm. um, people who are required to meet with world leaders and negotiate on topics ranging from war to peace, security, um, trade and economics, and so on. Mm. And what are the figures telling us about the current state of Australian women's representation in um, such agencies? Sure. So I started this research because I kept on looking at these big international forums and negotiations, and you could always recognise that one woman in the room, if there was one to begin with. Um, so my, my research really started out of a desire to learn more about why are there so few women in international leadership um, and who are they and, and what are their pathways and experiences of leadership? Mm. What I learned basically was that in peace processes between 1992 and 2011, women made up only 2% of chief mediators, mm. 4% of witnesses, 
and 9% of negotiators worldwide. When you looked at um, diplomats then and, and heads of mission, women make up only 15% um, of diplomats and only 15% of our permanent representatives to the United Nations. So our representation is really dire overall. Yeah, um, yeah. It's pretty shocking. And yeah. um, why do you think, I mean, it is important, I think, for women to feature more prominently in such spaces, but what do you think that women bring to such spaces? Sure. So the problem of um, women's underrepresentation is really summed up by the fact that we have lost women's equal contribution to international relations decision-making. We've also um, got the fact that women's underrepresentation undermines our very own nature of democracy, Australian democracy, and what we um, represent as our interests overseas. Mm. Um, The research tells us, though, that gender representation in international decision-making is linked to better development paths for countries, lower levels of violence, more durable and comprehensive decision-making, and higher levels of collaboration and consensus. Um, When you look at peace processes, if you include women, they have a 20% increase in the probability of that agreement lasting more than two years and a 35% increase in um, an agreement lasting more than 15 years. So it's a really important topic when you're looking at global violence and conflict, which costs an estimated $13.6 trillion per year. Um, Women leaders really have vital roles to play in terms of reducing economic and, and real costs. Mm. Um, so it's really quite um, critical. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what do you think um, are the barriers that women face in achieving that sort of representation? Sure. So there's basically three main types of barriers, and they can be boiled down to structural, organisational, and individual. And structural theories really look at um, you know the lack of women leaders as a result of structural factors in society, such as discrimination, stereotyping, um, exclusion from social networks. Basically, the negative stereotyping of women can reinforce the idea that these positions of leadership is the preserve of certain types of men. Mm. Um, secondly, you know, organisational theories really look at you know ideas such as the old boys network, um, which are kind of informal social arrangements that exclude women in work um, and often these informal events whether it be you know drinks at the pub after work um, or, or whatever mm. um, they provide undocumented historical knowledge of workplaces inside information on organizational politics and promotion mm. and also information on um, important future opportunities which might be missed by women who are not included yeah, um, yeah. And you can also kind of boil it down to individual challenges then too. So these might be work-life balances, um, a lack of self-confidence or self-promotion, and also career interruptions due to family responsibilities. Mm. And what a lot of research has shown is that even though women's participation in work has increased over the decades, our care responsibilities within the home or other spheres often hasn't decreased. And this leads to what is called a double burden for many working women. Mm. Um, and I think you can kind of see that the reality is that many of these organizations were structured in a time where predominantly the husband would go to work from nine to five and the woman would stay at home. Mm. Um, while this reality has now changed, many of those organizations haven't evolved as quickly. So I think, um, you know, it's really time to start to reinvent the way that we work in order to overcome some of these barriers. Mm. 
Um, and can you tell us a little bit more about the representation of diverse women in leadership positions? So we're talking about culturally diverse women, queer women, disabled women, and so forth. Um, what do you think are the barriers to that sort of diverse representation, and what do you think we should be doing to address them? Yeah, sure. So obviously we're starting to get more and more women in leadership now, which is fantastic. But one of the main problems is that it's still not representative leadership. So we're still getting um, generally, uh, you know, quite uh, well-connected, well-to-do white women in these positions of leadership. Um, and so we're not seeing a whole lot of diversity just yet. Um, so beyond kind of some systemic issues of racism, homophobia, ableism and so on, there's some really um, specific exam- examples that I can provide um, and that might include, so for gay women who are deployed internationally as diplomats, depending on the country that you're deployed to, you might have to bring your partner as a member of a house that is um, a chauffeur or a maid or, or something like that, rather than as a partner. Um, and not only does this not formally recognise um, a partnership and couple for who they are, it also means that these couples don't have access to the same um, financial allowances that they would get if their relationship was able to be recognised. Mm. Um, this mostly happens in countries where there's a political reason why it might be unsafe to identify. Um, have it's also a significant discourager. Mm. Um, and then there's a lot of other little factors. So for the newly created Department of Home Affairs, which includes immigration, um, flex time isn't currently permitted to those stationed in overseas posts. Um, if you're with the Australian Federal Police, um, you might only be eligible for half the paid maternity leave um, if you're based overseas. Mm. Um, so the end result is that policies like these might make women think twice about following a, a career path like this. This particularly, you know, affects achieving a diversity in representation when it comes to women. Yeah. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, I think in general uh, we should be encouraging departments to deeply analyse what systemic and organisational barriers might exist for mm-hmm. a diversity of men and women. Um, but at the same time, we need to be equipping diverse people with the skills, knowledge, connections um, and confidence to work in these environments. Um, and I think we've got a lot to learn from our global neighbours in this respect too. So mm-hmm. having a little bit of um, a, a look to what other people are doing around the world is a really great way to start. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Elise. Unfortunately, that's all the time we have um, with you today and all the best with your PhD. Thank you so much. Cheers. What we're dealing with here is a total lack of respect for the law. You're listening to Done By Law. Brought to you by the Federation of Community Legal Centres. We're back on Tuesday Breakfast on 3CR. That was Anya's first live interview. Ooh. Oh, my God, that was so incredible. I know. It was you beautiful. did a really good job, uh, Anya. Stop it. <laughs> We're watching history being made right now. Yeah. So what do we have next, Georgie? Uh, we have an interview with... Uh, 
Jodie, who has a performance coming out called Personal about her experience of um, being a child of deaf parents. Mm. Um, so she's just in the next studio, so perhaps we can play um, have a song it? or something and then get organised. I vote for a song. I have a, okay, I have oh. a song. I have an idea. Okay. I'm just pulling it up now. Maybe we can play an, a CSA, but I really want to play Beyonce because, as Don't you know, talk to me about Beyonce played at Coachella, which... Beyonce took over Coachella. Yes. And you know what? I still haven't seen that. For someone who's such a stan, I'm really disappointed at myself. It's okay. You need the time and space. But also, just a heads up, because I didn't know this, but Coachella apparently is um, the manager. I don't know if we can... Can we we drop that Defame someone? Defame someone? No, we can't defame someone. (laughs) But let's just say Coachella is a very problematic organisation um, or a company, whatever they're called. There have been some allegations of um, homophobia and bigotry of in the... And pro-gun. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, so even though Coachella might be questionable, Beyonce, <laughs> Beyonce, she was yeah. the first... I think she's the first black um, female... Um, mm. Opener or like headliner. headliner. Yeah. Yeah. So shout out to my girl Beyonce. Um, I'm trying to find out what song to play because I want it to really um, encompass everything that she is. You know what? Formation. I'm going to hit you with formation. How about <laughs> that? I think um, we might just do this real quick. Yeah. Language warning. <laughs> oh, won't somebody please think of the children? You know what? I cannot with you because you've been waiting to use that for a while. That's so good. I don't know who came up with it, but I love it. It's incredible. I need that in my life. Okay, come through Beyonce. And um, yeah, so let's hear from Beyonce with Formation. What happened at the New Orleans? Bitch, I'm back. I'm popular the man. Y'all haters corny with that Illuminati mess. Paparazzi catch my fly and my cocky fresh. I'm so reckless when I rock my Givenchy dress. I'm so possessive, so I rock his rock necklaces. My daddy Alabama, mama Louisiana. You mix that Negro with that Creole, make a Texas Bama. in my bag, swag, oh yeah baby, oh yeah, I, oh, oh yes, I like that, I did not come to play with you hoes, <laughs> I came to slay bitch, I like cornbread and collard greens bitch, oh yes, you got to believe it, y'all haters corny with that Illuminati mess, Paparazzi catch my fly and my cocky fresh I'm so reckless when I rock my Givenchy dress I'm so possessive so I rock his rock necklaces My daddy Alabama, mama Louisiana You mix that Negro with that Creole, make a Texas Bama Yeah. 
in the studio space we have we were just like rocking out um i may have put a video on twitter so hard not to, um, <laughs> oh really <laughs> you did what yeah i did okay. okay you all look normal normal or cute because cute is what we're trying you to always look cute reach. normal okay. is cute yes um so you just heard from our our girl beyonce she is our girl she's our friend um beyonce with her song formation so, we have the pleasure of having Jodie join us in the studio today to talk about uh, a performance that's coming up called Personal. Thanks so much for joining us, Jodie. Thanks. <laughs> I love Beyonce. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Beyonce girl. Rihanna, no. Beyonce, yes. <laughs> Good music to get you in the mood for right? an interview. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so... On the event page for personal, you mentioned that there's a, there was a specific moment when you realised that your family was deaf, and mm. I was wondering if you could tell us about that. Mm. Um, so I was five, and I was in Kmart, and I got lost. And so I went to the front desk, and I said, excuse me, I've lost my mum. And the lady made an announcement on the microphone, and I waited, and I waited, and I was in my school uniform, <laughs> you know, like first year at school and I waited and then she made the announcement again and I was like where is she and then finally my mum showed up and she was saying where where have you been I was worried and I said well the lady made an announcement and she said I'm deaf you know that and she signed to me and I was like ah now I knew my mum was deaf but I didn't know it meant she could not hear and then I realized my whole family was deaf, mum, dad, my two brothers, and I, was, I wasn't. <laughs> and um, I think, I, for me, I never saw what they could not do. But on that day, I suddenly realized what other people thought they could not do. And then, yeah, everything changed because I had privileges and access to things that they didn't have purely because of the senses that I had and the sense that they didn't have. Mm. Yeah, it's like my the wor- my world's eclipsed. Yeah, mm. and is that an experience that comes into your performance? Yeah, the, so I think that's why making this work is to um, show the show audiences 
my my point of view and what was before that moment and what was after mm-hmm. and i guess um unraveling that with with society and yeah, and yeah. the way that our society is constructed so yes mm-hmm. it's a it's a big undertaking yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah. um and so you learned Auslan as a first language and english as a second yeah it's my first language to sign yeah. yes and um at what age did you learn english oh probably like three yeah four yeah i learned like from neighbors my grandparents um television mm-hmm. and then I eventually speech therapist when I went to school mm-hmm. just my grammar was a different grammar so, yeah, yeah yeah and so do you think that learning Auslan as a first language has shaped and influenced you and who you are today <laughs> so it's it, it's important to reiterate that I'm not it's not special like there are millions and millions of people like me around the world who are native signers right so um we're called coders so it means a child of deaf adult and there's like a whole international movement that's been going for probably 30 years so within the deaf community there's intersectionality so there's people who hear who sign who are native there are people who are deaf blind who sign upon their hands and that's tactile sign and then there's deaf people who sign so our community's um diverse <laughs> um so yeah growing up it, it did shape me because um i can talk with my tongue as we are now i can talk with my hands and i can talk through touch so i can talk in the dark without saying a word and feeling it or speak underwater well, you know like <laughs> yeah, that's it shapes your life yeah. right because yeah. it means you don't have any limits in how you can communicate mm-hmm. um of course spoken languages i don't you know speak lots of different languages but the modes of communicating is how is the gift that you know i've been given through mm. growing up in this community and it's funny a lot of people think oh they're deaf they can't do that or oh they don't speak or but actually what they can do is is incredible too mm. and um often not seen as a currency that's valued as much as say just be able to speak yeah yeah and it sounds it's such an incredible skill that you know just that idea that you can talk underwater that you're able to communicate um in a different way that a lot of people don't have that skill to do that yeah except people in 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 my community yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, there's a program uh, on 3CR called Chronically Chilled and they cover mental illness and mm-hmm. disability topics. And um, a few weeks ago they were talking about how it's often seen as a deficit mm. um, and that that's something that maybe needs to change culturally is your ability or disability as a deficit. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? We have binaries for everything, don't we? Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you think about, okay, the binaries of ability and disability, okay, um, the, 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 the concepts that come with that, in my context, could be deaf or hearing. And another interesting binary is exclusion and inclusion. And so, you know, around disability, we hear this word inclusion and access. Um, But we don't really talk about the exclusion so much and the culture of exclusion that comes with able-bodied people. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, I'm obviously (laughs) able-bodied, but the culture I grew up with was inclusion. Yeah. Um, So... When you move across that spectrum, you have disabled, abled, inclusion, exclusion, hearing, deaf. I, coders or kids who have maybe a parent who grew up with disability move across that spectrum. We don't sit in one camp or the other and we often know how to 
find ways to make things more navigatable in that we're comfortable in the awkwardness and being able to go, no, 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 we'll find a way Mm -hmm. rather than, oh, this is too hard or this is too expensive or how do we do this? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a, it's a knowledge. It's a, it's a, it's a culture that can be shared. It just um, requires people to take the time. Yeah. 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 It's very cultural. Just like, you know, you, um, indigenous people have time, they're very conscious of time to take time in conversations in it's not just okay sit down and we'll work this out in an hour mm-hmm. it's the same in disability culture we take time so everyone can have space to thrive mm-hmm. yeah yeah and um and it's it's so like interesting how you describe that idea of inhabiting the, the these different worlds and translating between them and um you mentioned um, this idea of voyeuristic curiosity, and I was wondering if you could explain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, in personal, um, I show archives. So there's um, old family movies, Super 8 footage. Um, of your family. Of my family. Wow. My mum made yeah. these movies. And it's beautiful because they're silent films and they're grainy, but we are signing, right? So there's that beauty, beautiful voyeurism and then there's another a, a film made by my primary school teacher, um, and she sits down and she's I'm six and I have two missing front teeth and she says this is Jodie Mundy she's an expert in sign language tell us how do your parents use the phone how do they watch television how do your two brothers get to school and I'm like they walk um, <laughs> so in in the work like in the sh- in the show I show archives of how people were in the 80s and um, (laughs) ask really random (laughs) questions like, do your parents work? Do they drive? Um, What's it like to be deaf? It's like, I don't bloody know. Like, I don't know. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I think people think they have a right to sort of ask those questions, um, which is fine. Um, but I think that the assumption that, that that life must have been really tough and it's not, no, are you kidding? Mm. I played music full blast. You can imagine the parties I had in my room while <laughs> mum and dad were asleep. No one ever told me to be quiet. Like I had a beautiful freedom as a childhood to talk with my hands and sing and dance and we, our community is so rich because we're a minority community. We have to put on our own events and parties because it's not accessible anywhere else. So mm. we were out till like three in the morning and I was, you know, eight at the deaf club, you know, and that's where people got up and told stories and like it's a, it's a small minority. So we have our own networks, our own leaders, our own activists um, in working across all areas, like even the Australian Disability Commissioner is, is deaf. I don't know if you've seen him um but his um, name is Alistair McEwen, and he's just started probably last year, and he's appearing everywhere on the news. And so we're seeing Auslan on television more. It's not just, you know, when there's a national emergency and there's a thunderstorm or a flood. That's the only time our community ever get access on the news. Oh, guys, there's going to be bushfire. Okay, bye. And then a year passes, political parties, speeches, Beyonce songs, pop culture, nothing accessible. Mm-hmm. Oh, guys, there's a flood. Be careful. That's all we get. Mm-hmm. It's shit, yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And um, it's important to point to that. So 
that's partly why I've made this work. Yeah, so let's talk about the um, mm. the reasons for the work and um, and perhaps in terms of these perceptions and you sort of you've described how often people would impose ideas on on your experience about what it what it was like and what do you think um, the role what what is the role of art in influencing these ideas? Yeah, so uh, for me, personal is made in collaboration with my family three generations of my family, mum, dad, my brothers and nieces and nephews. Some of them are deaf too. Um, we know that we come from a, a community, an Auslan community, and uh, if you replicate that around the world, there's millions and millions of people who sign different languages around the world who have children who are native signers. Um, so in a way, our family is a microcosm of something that's macro. And in our family, across 40 years of my life, disability and that discourse is changing and evolving. So, you know, when I was a kid, I couldn't call mum and dad. They'd, now I can FaceTime them, you know. Um, my brother is the first deaf person to get his high school certificate in New South Wales, and he's 50. So you think of education, in my parents' time, they couldn't go to year 12. They worked in a factory. Whereas you look at my little niece now and her, she could be a politician or <laughs> if she gets the right education. But so if you look across three generations in our family, we're showing through art, through um, storytelling, through creative captioning. There's a virtual interpreter in my show. Um, it's full of multimedia and um, like I was saying, archives as, as well as contemporary films made now. And it's very live art. Like, it's not like a show. It's, it's, it's my life. Yeah. And it's a documentary kind of style work. Um, the, the, the piece itself took um, seven years to create. Um, and we're using video mapping and, you know, really... Um, because the, the team we have are extraordinary. There's Rian Hinckley and directed by Mary Ficar, Madeline Flynn, Tim Rian Humphrey. Hinkley. We had Rian on the show. Did the you? Yeah, so ah. from Arts Access. Yeah, he yeah. works at Arts Access Victoria. Yeah, that's, right. that's right. Yeah, um, Madeline Flynn, Tim Humphrey, uh, you know, they won the Experimental Award in um, Sound for um, from the Australia Council of the Arts. Jen Hector, who's like an award-winning artist. Like the team I have is so amazing. <laughs> In terms of concepts, like it's very contemporary in the way we work. Um, and, yeah, so the use of art through a, a story that's really quite simple. It's about a little girl and a family who discovered that society div are divided um, in how we treat people at five years old and mm. that this work is sort of how do we make that full circle? How do I resolve that? Yeah. <laughs> and I have to do it with society because that story is complicit with our community. Mm -hmm. It's not something that's alone. Um, and through this work, what conversations can we have? So, yeah, like yesterday it was, I was on ABC Breakfast News in te on television <laughs> talking about it, you know, and our community's just gone, woohoo! <laughs> Yeah, and you know we had an Auslan interpreter on the show. Like so, by having this conversation is opening up conversations about access. And I have this thing that I say: um, access is walking through the door, inclusion is sitting at the table, and participation is eating the food and talking about it. Maybe even cooking, right? So these are three different stages. And right now, our community may have a bit of access, a little bit of inclusion very rarely participate, very, very rare. So this work is about 
participating, our community, our voice. And I'm not deaf, right? I have the privilege to come in, (laughs) make the work, write those grants, get that funding, pull that team together because I know how, right? Um, But with my family making this work, they're participating in it too and it's our voice on on the table. So Mm -hmm. that's the power of art and that's... I think when you break down what access, inclusion, participation, because they're very, very different things. Everyone knows that, especially if you're from a minority community. Um, they're very different things. Mm. So, yeah. I love that um, analogy of the door and the table. and the, that's, <laughs> Yeah, that really like just puts it so simply. Mm. Um, and it's, it's just really incredible to hear you talking about it and, and how you, like, it must be... Um, such a unique thing to be able to share your own personal lived experience in this sort of storytelling and performance. <laughs> Thank um, you. Let's talk logistics. Mm. How can people come and see it? When, where? Yeah, sure. So it's at Arts House um, the 24th to the 29th mm-hmm. of um, April. So that opens in seven days. Right. <laughs> yeah. We just bumped in the, the, the piece. Um, and you can go to Arts House mm-hmm. um, to their website. Um and also, after that, it goes to the Sydney Opera House um, for the Unwrapped Festival. Wow. So that's 9th to the 13th of May. And then it goes on a tour around Victoria in June. So all sorts of places like Hamilton, Wodonga, um, uh, Traralgon, um, Warrnambool, Horsham. And then it goes back up to Sydney to Parramatta Riverside Theatre in June. Probably the best way to, to work out where is www.jodiemundy.com so that's j-o-d-e-e mundy.com mm-hmm. and on that site has all the links to all the different beautiful yeah we'll put, a, we'll put a link up for that yeah this, but heads up things. arts house is nearly sold out so okay. if people want to book get be quick all right <laughs> there's just been a lot of um press and yeah. um yeah it's there's tickets are nearly sold out so Great, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> you must be so busy, so thank you so much for giving us your time today to talk uh, about your Thank work. you for having me. Yeah, I really appreciate <laughs> it. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for 49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Able-bodied Australia does not realise that people with disabilities across the board are being discriminated against. Then the government to demand that we go out and get a job without removing the disincentives like the lack of access to transport and community infrastructure, without providing accessible buildings that can provide barrier-free employment. I'm not getting a fair go, and I don't like it, and I'm saying so. You're listening to 3CR, 8.55 on the AM Dial.
Thank you for joining us um, on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. We've had an amazing lineup of um, guests today. There was um, Lee Stevenson, there was Jody Mundy, and there was China. China Alice. Yeah, it was quite a show. That interview with Jody was absolutely beautiful. Yeah, that was incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, as always, like I feel like we, we say that all the time. I know. But we, we really have some incredible guests, and we're very fortunate that they come in so early as well, mm. and that they're... Um, because they could have been anywhere, <laughs> but you chose to be here. <laughs> they have their own lives, and they make time for yeah. What am I thinking of? A Jay-Z line. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> where, as you soon as I said it, I was like no, looking no, no. off into the distance thinking, where have I? <laughs> have Copy you already plugged uh, next week? Oh, we haven't, but go on. We so have a minute. Yes. Okay, so we, uh, we, we did already mention at the beginning of the show, but we might make another mention that next week we have a special Me Too panel program featuring some absolutely incredible guests, and we'll put that information up on our Facebook page. Um, so we're really excited, and we hope that you might be able to tune in next week for that. Yes, mm-hmm. and look out for our Facebook page where we'll have information of, of our guests and other um, uh, maybe links as well to their pages and so on. So thank you so much for joining us. And we're about to hear from Accent of Women with... Yes, so so we're about to hear from um, Giselle. Um, Giselle, who is an amazing broadcaster, she... um, Yes. So uh, she's got a uh, program coming up on the newly elected president of the Cambodian Food Service... Food Service and Service Workers Federation about the situation in Cambodia for workers under the new trade union law.